It's the strong men leading Denny in the bodysuit and Hodges without a top. Behind them is Di Rosario settling into marathon pace. Montag's walk is proving rapid as backmarker Browning and his mullet set sail for home. Riding speeding tickets is McDermott and the White Tiger has been booked well over the limit as they approach the line and oh, that is close. That was the Athletics Australia Handicap and this is Athletics. Hey everyone and welcome back to episode two of This Is Athletics, a podcast that brings you inside the tent with our stars of the sport and gets you to know them like you've never known them before. On today's episode, we welcome the dual world champion. He is the silver and bronze medalist from Tokyo Paralympics. He did a marathon when he wasn't supposed to and still made Olympics from it, but the main thing is he's a great athlete, but he's also a better bloke and you'll definitely hear that in this podcast today. Everyone, please welcome Jared Clifford. Jared Clifford, my man, welcome to the potty. How are how are we today? Yeah, going pretty good up in Perisher. Terrible day outside, but um, I'm doing well. So you're doing altitude, yeah? Yeah, altitude on the mountain. First time since Tokyo. Um, yeah, it's good to be back up. So okay, so I guess for people that are listening, run us through altitude. So like you're kind of fair bit out of competition season, like for for majors and stuff right now. So like. Do you guys spend like a lot of time in um, in altitude, or is it kind of like a you know monthly or a two monthly thing? Yeah, well, ideally, I think Philo, my coach, wants like usually likes us getting up twice to three times a year: January, November, yep. maybe May. So March is a little bit odd, but I miss January. So we spend yeah two to three months a year in an ideal year. Eighteen hundred meters is Perisher, and then in Flagstaff over in, in the states. It's like 2,100 meters. So it's, it's pretty tough going, but basically you, you come back down and you're just super fit. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're feeling good so far this season. I mean, you came off a, a hectic year last year. I mean, you know, dual world champion and now, you know, two silvers and a bronze for, for Tokyo. Um, what's, what's next? Like how's, how's training been in general? Yeah. To be honest, training's been going really well, uh, yep. but since Tokyo, it was such a draining experience, uh, you know, emotionally draining, psychologically draining. So There's so much I going on. Oh, mate, it was insane. And uh, to get back to sit in quarantine was actually a relief. And I tried to race in November uh, and I was fit physically, but I got two Ks into the race and realized like, I just didn't want to be there at, at yeah. that point. Um, so I think I'm finally getting the, you know, the, the will to race again. So that's where I'm at. Um, looking forward to nationals and stuff like that, but yeah, physically I'm fit as. But I just I want to let's, let's dive into that quickly because, um, like I know, I, like after Tokyo, like myself personally, I had a really rough time, um, just because you know, obviously, you know, with the Olympic build up and everything that goes into it, and then and the Paralympics, and then you go to from that to absolutely nothing, and you know, media obviously dries up pretty quick, and then you're in you're in you know, a room for two weeks by yourself, just kind of looking at your phone and then coming out of it and then starting to like rebuild on what's next and how to build off that. But, you know, there's, there's a, you know, everyone calls it post-game blues. Is that, do you feel that's what you went through? Cause I know that's, I, that's what I went through. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know, I'm from Melbourne uh, and in 2020 during COVID, the, the first big lockdown, uh, uh, Tim, my guide and I decided to move to Canberra. Uh, you know, away from family, our girlfriends, uh, and that was to, 
you know, we didn't know when the borders would open. We didn't know when we'd see each other again. That was tough. And then borders were still not open. So we committed to living in Canberra for the, the 12 months uh, leading into like the games. And, you know, it, it just felt like a year long training camp for me um, because it, there was never any roots laid. Like it was kind of just like, this is happening, but, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen next month, where you're going to be living, blah, blah, blah. So that just got exhausting for me. Um, there's a few things I, I think I learned from that experience, but I almost got to Tokyo and was almost relieved when it was finished um, just because all I wanted to do was to go home because um, it had been so long yeah. and just like have some certainty, like have some, you know, I know what I'm going to do in the next week. So I, I, it just got a little bit draining for me like that. And then obviously I went into the games wanting to win a gold medal. Uh, it didn't quite happen for me uh, this time. But also, like, I was trying to contend with that. I was actually really proud of how I raced. Um, but also, you know, I actually believe I got the best out of myself, but my best wasn't better than the, the best guy. So yeah. I was trying to contend with that thing. Like, I was actually super proud, but also super disappointed. And processing that has taken me a long time. Even, to be honest, it's still probably happening at the moment. Uh, and, yeah, you just, go, you just go through so many phases after the games. Well, it's kind of like, cause you're trying to process something that happens in such a short space of time and you have all these, you know, expectations of one yourself and your peers and also your perspective, like perspective of what you think that you should achieve and then maybe not getting what you wanted. Um, it's, it is hard. Cause then you're trying to, you're trying to work out where you stand. Cause like when I got fourth and stuff, it was the same thing. I was like, well, like I did a PB, I couldn't ask for more. And like I performed really, really well, but at the same time, like, you know, it's five centimeters and you still feel that like you have that feeling sometimes where it's like, no, I did have more in me or I just didn't find that little bit that I knew I had. And then it plays on you and it just, it just keeps recurring. And it's like trying to move on for it from it is quite difficult. So um, no. And, and like, you know, that is, that's a long time to, to really change your life around and COVID kind of just stuffed everything up. <laughs> Um, yeah. to say the least, hey. And I, I think it's cool to hear that from you because like I've, I've always wanted to talk about, you know, have athletes talk more about that issue, like that struggle and stuff that they have post games because there's a lot of athletes that have really had those strong battles um, coming out of post games and some falling into actual depression. But, you know, your competitors refer to you as like one of the toughest competitors around and like, you're so hard to beat and you're so hard working and like, you know, it's, it's good to, it's awesome to hear that. I guess that leveling part, it's like, no, nah, he's human. Like he still, <laughs> he still destroys everyone, but like he, he's still, he's still a human. He still knows what's going on. So why, where do you think that, you know, the, that drive, cause it's, you know, you obviously have to push yourself to go hard as possible in your events, but where's that come from? Um, why are you the why are you the, the one of the biggest competitors around? I think it's honestly like my best races or like my toughest races are probably in the ones that I I genuinely believe in them. Like mm. I want to be there, and I've noticed that. Like I've had some I've had some real dud races recently, and that's honestly probably because I just didn't quite believe in what I was doing that day. Like I just didn't want to be there. So like for instance, you know, running a marathon without training for it and all, you know all of that stuff that was basically because the reason I was there was to help a mate 
And I just believed in that performance, like what I was doing. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like I can, I'm a bit of an emotional runner. So I think I can get more out of myself in those situations. Obviously Tokyo, I could I absolutely, you know, the marathon I was throwing up for the last 10 to 12 Ks uh, and the 5K, I, I can barely even remember. I was 43 degrees apparent temperature in the stadium that day. And like, if that was a local competition, I don't know if I would run the same, you know, like I, yeah, I doubt I'd be able it's to It's the stakes, that. yeah. It is. Yeah. And I, it was just what I'd been working towards. And actually going back to what you just said before about replaying something over in your mind, you know, that you're talking about the five centimeters. Like for me, I woke up that day and it was the hottest day in Tokyo that we were there for my 5k. Yeah. Yeah. It was my best chance of winning a gold medal. And a week later, the heat wave went and it was like 20 degrees less every single day. And I'm like, Oh, it was so hard not to be like, Oh, if it was, if it was today, you know, would it be mm. different? But that's what is so special about the Olympics and the Paralympics. You you have to get it right on that day. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you, it doesn't matter what the conditions or what the situation is. Like, mate, just get the job done. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, you mate, you get you get the job done pretty consistently, especially with dual world champion. I um, it was funny when I was doing notes for the for the chat. Um, I didn't realize that you qualified for able body world juniors in twenty eighteen. Yeah, that was a wild story. I won the national title, but didn't have the qualifier. There was a track classic the next day, which was still within the period. And that's yeah. when I ran the qualifier. <laughs> that's so hectic. It just, it mate, did, did you end up going to World Juniors? Yeah, I did. I, yeah, did. I, did. I, yeah. No, I thought, yeah. Mm. Uh, mate, that's that's impressive. Um, and I wanted to go, um, I wanted to go into a story. I'm not, I'm actually, not, I don't want to tell it because I feel like I'll butcher it, but You've spoken a bit before about how far opportunities have come for people with disabilities and over the last few years, you've also spoken about inclusion and how it's been a bit tokenistic in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I think the story you're talking about is from 2012. So a while ago. Yeah. Um, and it's, I was, it was my first, I'd just been classified, just realized that Paralympic sport was a thing really. Uh, you know, it was going to do the para race at the cross country champs, the nationals. Um, one of the guys in the able-bodied team from age group got food poisoning. Um, I was the only one that was able to fill in. I did that, um, but, you know, felt very out of place. Um, I was the only para-athlete on the team, which would be crazy now because para-athletics has, has absolutely boomed in Australia. But um, I came at least second last or last in that race, minutes behind um, the guys that I'd eventually be racing in nationals down the line. But yep. um, it was it was a weird moment. Like I just felt, um, I don't know, I just felt like I was this para-athlete that was kind of included as a token and, and that a whole idea actually of, well, being in the under 14 able-bodied race is better than being in the under 14 para race. Like that's a, that was a clear promotion in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. But why is that a promotion? You know, people ask me all the time, oh, you'd love to go to the Olympics. It's like, well, yeah, maybe. But also if it's going to affect my Paralympic performance, then probably not, to be honest, because yeah, like that's my dream. And it's not a promotion in my eyes. Um, yeah, it, not, yeah, it's not, it's not it, less it than. It would be an equal shape. No, yeah. that's right. That's right. And people don't mean it like that. It's totally unintentional, but that it just shows that it is ingrained, that idea that it's a, it's a step up um, yeah. in terms of prestige. Like obviously yeah. there's differences in depth and whatnot like that. That's just common sense. Right. But in terms of prestige, it, to me, it's the same. And I think people have started to realize that so much like last summer um, it went from 
people would celebrate a para time in some contexts and it would be almost like the people writing the reviews of the race would feel obligated to write it in, right? You know, yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas last season, there were a lot of world records across the board from a lot of athletes and the people writing the reviews or the people interviewing after the race, they actually were invested in it. Like they wanted to see it happen. They didn't feel like, uh, you know, this person broke a world record. We have to do it. It was like, this person just broke a world record. Yeah, actually being behind the hype of what it was. It's shifted a lot throughout my career. Nothing, not like not, it's been, it's been in the works for decades from yeah. the Paralympics before us, but it's, it's far out. The momentum is building. Uh, we saw, I you know I was in the race where Michael Roger, my training partner broke the world record in Adelaide the other day. Yep. And I was, I was quite a long way behind in that race, but I remember rounding the bend he must have crossed the line and I've never really been in a, in a, in a stadium where you can, it goes kind of quiet and then all of a sudden there's a roar and that's because yeah. they waited for him to cross the line. Then they, they saw he broke a world record and the crowd loved it. And that's just, to, if you went back not that many years and told like me that, that, that reaction happened for a world record for a para world record and a track classic, like I wouldn't even believe you. So it's, it's awesome how much it's changed. Well, do you think that, because obviously you've been you've been a big part of that change and and like really bringing like more of the performances to light and like showing that um, equality between between the two, you know what? I mean, even from your story originally, like do you, do you feel that that really gave you not a purpose but like a point to prove? Yeah, I guess. Like, um, do you feel it's a part of it, or it's it's just kind of a subsequent. I just like challenging people's thinking um, because I, I think uh, I think uh, disability in society is something that is kind of shied away from talking about. People don't understand it, so then they fear it. I think yeah. it's almost like it, it becomes a part of track and field in a way. People don't understand the disabilities um, and some people are a bit awkward to ask about them and then it leads to some lack of understanding and then people just tune out because they – don't yeah. get it. I get it. It's actually, yeah, I know it's what you super mean. Simple, to be honest, like it's actually super simple, but for me as a, as a purpose, like for sure, um, you know, you know, Kurt Fernley is one of my heroes and I've seen what he's done. Um, Madison De Rosario, what she's done, like there's just like so many incredible people beforehand. It's like kind of like myself alongside the para athletes that are around my age, it's now time for us to step up. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, like, I just like, I think they've they've brought it to like they've brought it to light in such a a confident way where like you can't not pay attention like and mm. you can't not learn from them and their experiences and and like you know what you know the, the similarities and and how to approach people and not having that um, feel of awkwardness in asking about you know um, you know your disability or um, what type para sport or how that classification works because sometimes like you know sometimes people do get that confusion of um the classifications how it works and because there's so many moving parts in it but i think that people ask and then they think like oh am i being like derogatory for not knowing that and then they get awkward and it's just it turns into a thing yeah yeah and i can say i can i can personally say for me at least that i prefer when people ask questions um in it's the best way that you're going to learn. And I want people to learn, understand about my disability when people clearly want to know. 
yeah. but they don't maybe feel comfortable asking, which I can understand. Um, I just say it. I just ask, like, do you want me to tell you? And yeah. they often do, you know, and once they, once I've explained it, then it kind of, it makes more sense. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's just a thing like people need to, um, if you if you've got good intentions, then, um, then it's going to be a good thing. I, another thing actually that I'd like to say is like Tell me. the generational shift is like huge at the moment. So, uh, I was, I was the only para athlete at this cross country champs like 10 years ago. Now there's heaps of para athletes, but not only the messages that I got, um, you know, going to these little athletics days and the kids, you know, know who I am. They want signed posters, whatever. It's yeah. kind of like to them, it's so it would be so weird they, they they can't even comprehend paralympians not being superstars right yeah because they're just gonna grow up and it's going to be a thing whereas for people around our age like it's unless you're in that community perhaps you didn't even like know which athletes were the best in australia in certain events for paras for paraathletics. so um for the kids coming up now it's just like they're going to tune in if they're a distance running fan or a throwing fan they're going to like know the olympians and the paralympians and tune in and that's like so cool to see mate it's uh, it's funny um you say you know like with the kids thinking like why aren't you guys superstars and it's 100 percent because you know even just talking now like you have so many valid points and such a good advocate for talking about it now let's i just want to jump back a little bit to to your vision impairment so your classification so for everyone so you got diagnosed when you were three, yeah? Yeah, diagnosed as three is genetic, so have had it since birth. Okay, and what's what's the um, the technical like legitimate technical term for it? So my condition is juvenile macular degeneration, and that encompasses a few different variations of that impairment. So the one that uh, I have is called Best's eye yep. disease, uh, and it's basically impairs my central vision. Um, or perception of detail. Okay. So, in the, in how much percentage of of that have you lost? Is that complete loss of detail? Um, it's hard to use numbers, I guess. But like for me, it kind of means. How do I explain? I I, I explain this a lot, and I still struggle because I obviously don't quite understand what I'm comparing it to. Yeah. Um, but it's it's like it's hard to quantify because it's kind of like a a blur-ish thing but it's kind of like stuff isn't there so sometimes i won't even know i'm not seeing something and yeah. it's until it moves for instance so I, my peripheral vision is fine yeah. so i can see movement quite well um so it's anything in that that center okay and my- so so with that so how how does how does your running adapt like is there any things that you specifically change obviously um you work with a guide runner um and all of that, but is there any specific things that you adapt training for? Like, obviously you have strong peripheral. Um, do you use that to your advantage or how, do, mm. you know, how does that work? Yeah. What are the incurtices? So incurtices. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my guy can't even speak. <laughs> incurtices. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, I guess for me, like I use guides in certain circumstances because one, like visual impairments can fluctuate due to your own fatigue. Um, just as anyone, I guess. Um, and so for me, like I'll use guides in five Ks sometimes when it is like, I think it's going to be beneficial. So it's certain tracks when it's darker. Um, if I think I'm going to run a race a certain way. So if I'm going to be out on my own, like I probably prefer guides, if I'm in a pack, I'm not too bad. 
But in our category system, there's T11, which is totally blind. And then yep. T12 and 13 race together as one group at international level. Okay. And so for instance, Sam Harding is in my category from Australia and he's in my training group as well. And he has tunnel vision, which is like the, like the pretty much the exact opposite to what I have. So he can see as far as anyone, I think almost, um, but his peripheral vision is tough. So we have different challenges uh, in a race. So I know in a race for me, like I can always see the person in front, but as I get, a little bit further away, I won't even see them at all. Okay. Um, whereas like Sammy would be able to see them, but he wouldn't be able to like know what's going on around him in the past. Yeah, especially so that, if, if people are up close or overtaking or. Yeah. So like yeah. there's that, um, there's those differences. But for me, like, I guess what I was trying to say before with the central vision is that, so for instance, facial features, um, I can't really see. So I can see yeah. like that someone's there, obviously, yeah. but discerning facial features is 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 what is hard because that's the detail yeah oh that's lucky you can't see how ugly my face is then <laughs> and that's what everyone said <laughs> <laughs> okay that's a common one i did i thought that was gonna be you but apparently not <laughs> oh god okay all right so that's yeah no because i've always thought you know are there specific things that you guys do like obviously using the advantages ah not the advantage but the the things that you do have that haven't been affected on whether that's applied in training. Yeah. Like, um, I guess some of the other things I do like in training is that I'll probably train on the track a lot more often. Uh, if yeah. I don't have anyone to ride a bike with me or to, to run with me, uh, I'll run a path or a place that I know quite well. If I'm yep. tired, I might do laps of an oval. Um, I have to kind of gauge. So there's, there's a lot of different challenges. Like I know there's some days, for me, you know, if I'm studying, trying to read some stuff and I'm tired, like I have to then identify that and change my approach on yep. days of race. I need to make sure that I'm not going to be visually fatigued yep. um, going into a race. So I guess there's a lot of, and then just I, I just have, in different ways. Yeah. Trust is huge. I, in training, I trust people literally with my life to cross a road. Uh, I just kind of hope that they like don't want to get hit by a car just as much as I don't. And then just, <laughs> if they go, I go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, like, and I, yeah. So, it, but for me, it's normal. Like I, I learned to run with my vision. That's a, that's the other thing. You know, people look at disability and they're like they fear it, I guess, because it's hard to comprehend. But for me, it's I can't comprehend the alternative. So this is my normal. Um, yeah, you just so I you have to, to run ad- adapt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm uh, like, I adapt to changes in my vision. Like it is a, like a very slowly deteriorating condition, like very slowly, yeah. but like, no, I guess I have to adapt to that, but like, I'm not adapting in the sense that once I had amazing vision, now I don't. Like, yeah. Yeah. You just, you're just learning the new situations that are presented with you to how to deal yeah. with them. Yeah. Okay. No, that's mate. It's yeah. It's impressive. Now, Let's go to a couple of other things that you're extremely impressive in. So you're studying arts, politics, and criminology at Melbourne Uni. What's yeah. that's a lot. That's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. So let's <laughs> let's break it down. So I guess what what's that what's the goal for post arts? Like, you know, that's that's a fair few things to to focus on. Are you gonna pick one or are you just gonna be like, oh, all right, well I'll I'll run the country, but I'll I'll be a detective uh-huh. while I'm at it. And then, you know, I'll just do random arts things as well. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to do, I don't know. I want to do the, um, there's like a post-grad law degree at 
Melbourne. So that's kind of what I'm aiming for okay. slowly as I kind of get through it. But I don't know, like I like to write. Um, like I got one of my articles that I wrote in quarantine published in the guardian. And that was about disability um, rights basically. And the link, the link is, and Madison de Rosario says this really well, is that, you know, a Paralympian, you shouldn't have to be a Paralympian uh, to have your rights respected as a person with a disability. Or, right? or even heard. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, it's like you, it, people with disabilities should be respected regardless of their status as an athlete. And, uh, you yeah. know, and that's like the Paralympics are doing great things, but we need to replicate that in wider society. So that's kind of one of my passions, I guess. So I don't know specifically where I want to take it, but I know that's what I'm interested in pursuing somehow. Yeah. So I don't know. Sports kind of my platform at the moment that I'm, that I am using. Yeah. And you're using it really, really well. Like obviously you have your stuff away from athletics, but it's complementing the story that you can tell and like on a very strong platform, especially being able to share that with the guardian and get that, that article done um, and posted. So props to um, <laughs> politics. Yes. So, so politics, politics isn't on the main run. That's just a. Oh mate, that, that world just, that's scary. It's that's hectic. Scary. Hey, it's hard. It's, <laughs> Maybe. Uh, it's hard know, to learn. Man. It's just, it's full on. I'm doing, I'm on the student council at the, in the student union at Melbourne and that's making me realize uh, that it's, a, it's, intense. it's intense. Yeah, I um, I remember, so I had I had this um, future for Toowoomba event and it was, you know, I was just like learning about, because there's obviously different political parties leading into Olympics and people's stance on what should go ahead, how do we need to implement infrastructure and stuff. And then I was yeah. just kind of like learning about the different, standpoints of different political parties that were going to that event. And I've called up dad and I'm just like, mate, can you just like, you know, just help me? Cause dad loves politics. And I was like, can you just yeah. help me understand this a little bit more? And we went into detail for about an hour and a half. And I was just like, okay, that's enough. I'm just it's not going to bother with that. <laughs> it hurts your brain a bit sometimes. Oh, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's a crazy world to be in. Like I remember some, one of my um, uh, close um, friend from back in Toowoomba and stuff. They're like, yeah, you should get into politics. Like, you know, you good at talking. I was like, yeah, I can talk underwater, but I wouldn't want to talk about that all day long. Like it would just, exactly. it would, it would get repetitive, I reckon. But exactly. Exactly. I think as well, like, I mean, there's, there's great change made in, in like the, I guess the political man, there's someone like a Grace Tame, for instance, yeah. who's changed a lot of things. She often gets a question, you know, are you going to run in politics? And I think her answer was, um, that she thinks she can uh, do a lot more and make more positive change outside of that world. So yeah, well, that's right. Then I think that is quite true. Like you, I think that especially for say people in our position as athletes or like you know people of the public, um, like in the public view, like you can still enact change but not be part of political parties and all that. You can still have a voice to talk about something and get things done. Um, yeah. Anyway, off political stuff. <laughs> Maybe not the vast we should be going down today. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. All right. Let's um let's look into the future though. Let's look at this, you know, 2022 season. What's what's the plan for this year? Where where are you off to? How often are you competing? So yeah, run us through what your year looks like. Yeah, I guess um, you know, it's a funny one. Our year as para athletes has been uh 
changed quite significantly by the fact that our world championships have been cancelled. They were in Kobe, Japan, uh, and due to COVID still, um, that's been cancelled. So that's a big, 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 you know, that's not great. Um, mm, but yeah. for me, it's not too bad. Uh, obviously, I did. I've done now two marathons without any specific preparation at all. Um, you know, one of them I sat down and did no nutrition and ran 219. And I, I think now this year is a good opportunity for me to kind of get the what ifs out of my head and find out potentially what I can do over a marathon with a tro- uh, proper preparation. Yep. So the plan at this stage is to do Gold Coast Marathon in July. Okay. Um, it could go amazing or it could go really badly. Uh, yep. and, but I'll get an answer to my question. And that will find out very my, quickly. Yeah, that'll I'll know the 30k mark probably. And so yeah, it'll clear my head and give me a lot more of an idea of what events I'll tackle on the road to Paris. I think if the schedule is the same as Tokyo, there's a good oh. chance I'll try and do three again just because okay. the five thousand meters is what I believe will be my best chance okay. of winning. Um, but obviously it's still such a long way away. So I'm uh, still juggling as best I can. <laughs> well, you might, yeah, you've got, you got time to choose and enjoy because, I mean, you're good enough to do all three at a very competitive level. It's just like, what, what do you really want to focus on? Uh-huh. Um, and if yeah. you, Even if you need to, though, that's the other thing, like whether you even need to by the time you get to mm. Paris. Like, you know, if you, if you don't put a limit on it, who knows, you could get to a position where you win all three. Who knows? Like That's the thing. Like, we which would be to- insane. Uh, yeah i mean we believed it was possible in tokyo and i i can say i I know athletes say this a lot you know like uh this silver medal is going to be like i've learned so much and it's going to make me better right and i and and like i had heard that in the past sometimes and kind of thought sure but like sure you'd want to win yeah (laughs) like does silver turn into gold kind of like that kind of mentality yeah, yeah but i genuinely like i had this really honest chat with tim up here in Perisher last night and like what we were saying I was, he, he kind of said to me like if you had a one or three you wouldn't even be sitting here right now like and i was like yeah i think you're right like if i win if i win all three in, in tokyo i wouldn't have learned some of the things i needed to learn and i may have started pursuing the things that i want to pursue outside of sport like my goal is to be there in brisbane 2032 i think if i win or three or even two in Tokyo, I don't think I make it to Brisbane. But yeah. now from the things I learned like far out, like I genuinely feel like I'm 10 years older in my head just after Tokyo. So um, that's the yeah, thing. You, uh, need, you just need that experience to, to really propel forward. And like, how old will you be in Brisbane? 32, I think. 32. Nice. We'll both be 30. I'll be 36. Yeah. Beauty. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be old and, ready to <laughs> kick it back Either after that i reckon yeah. <laughs> yeah oh no that's good and so like yeah i guess what's what's your biggest focus for post post because we, we know what what you want to do in track like in track and how how you want to progress but how does it look like outside of sport you've obviously got your uni and and you're thinking about going down um a few different paths do you know like is there a real big ambition that you want to focus on um, I think, I think like, obviously we're all, we're competitive people being yeah. athletes. So, um, that's why I actually have to scale back my studies sometimes. Cause I don't like, I always want to do 
like my best. Otherwise I feel like I'm, I don't know, taking the piss a little bit with what I'm doing. Like I need to be all yeah. in. So um, I wouldn't mind even in the middle of my career, taking a year to just um, really go after um, my studies. Um, I wouldn't mind studying overseas at some point. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like running, running's every, like I actually thought after Tokyo, if I was yeah to win all of them, I would, find the thing outside of sport that I definitely want to pursue. Right yeah. now that I can win, I kind of sit and sat down and I was like, you know, when I was 12, the only thing that I could even think of in the world was winning a Paralympic gold medal or something like that. And it's like, well, I need to do myself justice. But I need to do that kid justice as well in the sense that like for Paris, like I'm all in, like this is everything is about absolutely to the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. Not in like the obsessive way where everything takes a backseat because I, I I think balance is what helps you yeah. perform well. But like, yeah, I'm I'm going to do everything in my power to to be standing on that start line in Paris with um, a better mindset than in Tokyo. And so I know like to answer the other question about what my big ambition is, um, it's super vague, but I just like to use whatever platform I can gain through sport or whatever I do outside of sport before the yeah. end of my career yep. and then launch it from there. Um, I want to, you know, help, help people, I guess. Um, it's super vague, but. Oh, but like, I mean, that's as, as long as you've got that, that purpose, like, you know what you want to do and it, it's already showing now that like you have a great, a great perspective and like you give great perspective on, on Paralympics and, and the situation that you have and you have a great platform to, spread it and mate, you, you just, yeah, you're killing it. It's, it's awesome to hear you talk about stuff like that. And like, I agree, like you need that. I think when people, when you say no stone on turn, a lot of people think like it's just that overly obsessive um, and you, and people think that you need that to be, you know, the best of the best was untrue. Like you do have other time of being an athlete. Like you obviously have you know, recovery is very important and, having that time to not overdo it, but it's like, mate, you need to live a life as well. Like it's, yeah. you, live, you live a quarter of your life at least um, mm -hmm. to, to being an athlete. It's like, mate, you need, we, we need to do other things. We need to progress as people as well. So it's good. To That's right. That you've got that That's right. You know, like in, in, my, in some of the talks I give, particularly to year 12s, uh, I kind of go, there's a stereotype around athletes sometimes, you know, in the YouTube videos where, uh, there's like you know, four minute videos, motivation. It's like, yeah, yeah. To be an athlete, you have to like breathe success and like yeah. live it every day. I watched and you have to I Yeah, watched so did I, like, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, it, it's like obviously totally untrue. No one actually lives like oh, that. No. It's not sustainable. No. Uh, there, there's moments where you kind of do that stuff, but you don't sustain it for 24 hours a day and or a week maybe. Um, and for me, I say that I say one of the most important things about the whole giving it your all is actually when identifying when you're a bit tired, when you're actually not that motivated, and you got to identify that because it will help you ride those bumps. Um, because you got to know that they're inevitable parts of life living, yeah, exactly. Not just anything, think, and um, it's funny watching their faces when you say that to them as well because they think that, like, you know, there's that whole living up here 24 seven, always on the peak motivated 24 seven. It's just like, mate, we do not live that life. Like no. we, we, we live that life for about a couple of weeks. Once you, like if you perform really, really well at, at an Olympics, um, but most of the other time it's, it's pretty mellow and like, you know, 
it's about riding the wave, like knowing when you, your troughs are, knowing when your peaks are and like just having a good good balance because otherwise that's where you just tip the scale and you go too much either end and it, and it just doesn't go well. Yeah, no, 100%. I, uh, mate, it's good. It's good hearing to hear common, common focuses. Um, I also want to talk, so obviously you've been, you've been very active in a lot of different spaces, you know, with, um, little athletics and, um, and a few different sponsors, but a new one that you've signed with Wheat Bix, um, tell us a little bit about the Wheat Bix and, you know, the active bands and everything that's happening in that space for you. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, I'm, very lucky to be part of that, that project is it was one of the athletes that's kind of signed on to it. So um, I think it's really cool. The idea of using our sport to connect with kids in the sense that, um, that to try and get uh, kids as active as possible. Yep. Uh, I know how much like sport has changed my life. Uh, I remember as a kid, mum like taught me how to, I guess, adapt my, vision to playing different sports at school because she knew those it was an easy way to make friends right yeah and so i like literally sport like in its myriad forms has changed my life and i and just being active is basically the core of that so i know how powerful it can be um so anything to kind of motivate people to be active and to eat healthily um yeah like it's it's super good just give a good lifestyle and, and a way to live yeah exactly so and it it makes it fun too like you know i mean every kid every person loves those things where you can like gain points and stuff like that and that's what those active bands uh the wheat picks and ai have put together are doing so um you know it gets a bit of competitiveness into it as well which i don't think hurts yeah so before we get into our home straight questions how do people get involved in the wheat picks program yeah so i think yeah you just go to those sites there's um on the athletics australia uh, social media they've got all the instructions there but if you ch- jump onto those um websites i think you can register as individuals and i think schools can get involved as well um as like a collective so um through athletics australia website and on the socials um that will give more comprehensive instructions okay um, all right cool perfect legend all right well are you ready for home straight questions a little bit a little bit more of a quick get to know we should we should I, I think we might have to change it to the to the um, front straight because it just gets everyone just like quickly. Okay, this is who Jared is. All right, are you ready to go? Yeah, I think so. All right, let's do it. All right, so number one, Sporting Idol. Oh, Kurt Fernley, I think, yeah. Right. it. All right, pre-competition meal. Yeah, vegetarian lasagna. Nice. Favourite current Australian athlete? Oh, I think um, Michael Roger, uh, he's my yeah. training partner, but I just, he, the way he races is just, it's, Mate, he's, he's the toughest being I've ever met. Toughest human being. He's, Craziest guy as well. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy. Just, like you got to be the way that he does run. He ran a marathon with a broken leg, you know, like that's insane. <laughs> All right. Um, coolest place you've competed? Ooh. I mean, yeah, for me, Rio uh, running in front of tens of thousands of people was pretty epic. I haven't had that experience since. So. Okay, Matt. Uh, biggest influence? Ooh. Uh, well, I mean, besides family, because I think that's a pretty classic one and they yep. have had the biggest influence. But I'd say like my, my three coaches, um, Spiro Nierfeeder from Little Athletics, Max Bolchan at club level, and yep. now Philo Saunders. 
Um, like I, I wouldn't have, they, they allowed me to fall in love with the sport, which is the most important foundation to kind of have. And then Philo's not just continued that, but turns me into an elite athlete. So yeah, without the, those three coaches and the different roles they played in the trajectory of my career, I probably wouldn't be here. So. Right. Worst injury. Oh, um, I'm touched, I haven't really had any injuries. Oh, good. All right. Good to hear. I can't really think of one. Yeah. Um, what did you want to be when you grow, uh, growing up? Well, I think I was four when I wanted to be a truck driver. Mum told me that would be probably not a great idea um, if you can't see. So <laughs> that got shut it. down pretty quickly. <laughs> brutal, man. Like she said, no, nah, not happening. No, nah, get out of the truck. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Here's the Tonka. Yeah, that was savage, but I don't know. Probably, I think, I think a journalist, but I don't know. Just one of those classic things. Yeah. Okay. Um, hidden talent. <laughs> don't know. Um, sure. I, I, I love when people is- laugh because they're like, "Yeah, I know what it is, but I shouldn't share it." Well, it's not Wordle because I did that this morning and I like failed it. So um, fair enough. Uh, I don't, mate, I don't even know. Is I should you, know. I'm actually pretty stumped. Yeah, I don't know. That's all right. We'll, we'll skip that. Dogs or cats? Well, dogs, but uh, living in an apartment. So we did just get a cat and she's actually way cooler than I thought cats would okay. be. So okay. I'm now on the fence, you know. Okay. All right. And uh, favorite coffee order? Oh, large flat white. Pretty standard. Yeah, no, nah, nice, nice. I'm a more of a latte man now. Man, to I don't even sh- understand sugars. the difference. I'm like so unsophisticated. I don't even get the difference. I just say, I just say words. Yeah. It's like, I just, yeah. Cappuccino. Yeah. McLa- I mean, I just say. McLatte. Yeah. I just, give me get something. I just say, yeah, that one. So. Yep. Yeah. Give me a one with that has caffeine. Yeah. The caffeine um, one. All right. And I want to give what we're going to start doing at the end of the, at the potty is give an athlete challenge to kind of give the listeners a bit of a challenge that they can do at home or whether they're training or whatever they're doing to kind of give an insight to your world. So maybe give us a, an idea of maybe a set or not something that someone's going to go out and give themselves stress fractures off the rip, but (laughs) maybe someone that they're going to go like, okay, this is, this is where Jared's world is. Yeah. I was thinking like when you yeah said like this thing was going to be a part of the podcast, I think, uh, I might take it a little bit differently and go head down to like an oval where there's no dogs, probably maybe just like (laughs) real quiet, spacious, no area um, and run in a straight line and you can either close your eyes for a little bit, or if you're really dedicated, get some safety glasses and sticky tape, the central parts of the, um, like the the glasses yep. and do a few layers, I guess. And it won't be the exact same thing as what I see, but it'll yep. be, it'll give you somewhat of an impression. Uh, and then, yeah, just run. And, and I guess I know it might be cool to see what people. I are, think that, I think that's a great idea. Like even just but be just, safe about it. <laughs> yeah. Don't run into any trees, anyone don't run into trees. Um, it is no, I think that's great. Like just, yeah, just go, go run a hundred meters straight and see how you go. I might actually, yeah. I might go do that this afternoon. I'll just be running through the forest, just hoping for the best. <laughs> hey, that's, that's, that's like me running all the time. I, I know. I don't, I like just even thinking about it right now, it gives me anxiety. I'm just like, mate, I will take my head off of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it's okay. happened. 
No, well, Jared, thanks so much for, for coming on today, man. I really enjoyed this chat. It was great to learn a lot more about you and, and your journey. Um, and it's, you know, it's awesome to hear your perspective on things and someone who's really, really driven and like keen to just get, get the word out and really educate people on, on Paralympics and everything of the sorts and how to get involved and, um, just being health and fit. So I appreciate you coming on today, man. It was, it was great, great chatting. No, no worries at all. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to seeing where you take the podcast. Yeah, no, it should be, should be fun. We'll, we'll get you back on it on again soon. Um, probably at the end of the season, I reckon. Sounds good. Sound good. Legend. All yeah. right. Well, thanks Jared. I'll, uh, I'll see you on the track. Hey, perfect. Thank you. See you, mate. Alrighty guys, another one in the books. I hope you really enjoyed that because I know I did. If you guys want to check out anything else about the Wheat Picks program, make sure you go check out Athletics Australia's website or their Instagram or their Facebook and make sure while you're there, let them know who you want to get on the show next. But I hope everyone has a great week, a great weekend, a amazing next competition and I will see you in the next one.